This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Today, I'm excited to bring back guest and relationship and manifestation expert Amanda Blair to the podcast. If you haven't already listened to the episode with Amanda called Manifesting Love, I highly recommend starting there before getting into this episode. In that episode, we lay a lot of groundwork for the conversation that we have today as we delve deeper into the work behind manifestation and finding real lasting connections in the name of relationships and intimacy. This particular conversation with Amanda is something I can't wait for you to listen to. It was one of the first times I had even gone into the depths of unpacking the dating landscape, really unearthing what our cultural norms are around it and the cultural rhetoric, both spoken and unspoken. Whether or not you are in relationship, calling in partnership, friendship, or casually dating, this episode is for you. Amanda shares with Bedside her philosophies on co-creating connections with others and also the universe, the slow sex and dating movement, manifesting your full list for a partner, and what filling your cup really looks like. There are so many nuggets of wisdom in this conversation, and I hope this episode proves to be an expansive dialogue for you. I know it was for me. Before we get into the conversation, Amanda has a quick disclaimer she wants to share. everybody before we get started and really dive into the juicy topic of sex and relationships I wanted to be very clear about my intentions you're going to hear me talk a lot about slowing things down when it comes to getting into relationships slowing things down when it comes to getting into a physical relationship with someone but in no way shape or form am I saying that having sex with anyone is going to determine whether you get into a relationship with them or not. The reason I talk about slowing down when it comes to sex is because I want everyone to feel very safe. I want everyone to feel emotionally ready and prepared before they go into sex so that they can enjoy it and get as much pleasure out of it as they can in the moment and after the moment, because we've all had that experience, I'm sure, where we go into a sexual encounter and we leave feeling really depleted. And I would love for everyone to no longer have that experience and only leave sexual experiences feeling even fuller than they were before. And so I just wanted to make sure we're all on that same page that we are not using sex or our bodies as a bargaining chip. It is not a way to manipulate someone into getting into a relationship. So you can sleep with someone the first night and still get into a relationship. You can sleep with someone after three months and not get into a relationship. It It's not about the sex. It's about our emotional well-being. That is what I'm talking about for slowing down. 
Without further ado, please welcome Amanda back to the podcast. I'm so excited for part two here. Me too. I feel like when we last chatted, we pretty much laid down the foundation and the framework for a lot of this part two, which we were so excited to do. We literally ended the podcast and we were like, wait, we have so much more to get into together. So, you know, I'm really excited to chat in in much more depth with you about sex and relationships specifically. And You know, in our last episode, we really touched on the surface of what that kind of looked like for you personally, especially when you started to explore what that lack was for you and where you felt like you wanted to transform. And so I'd really love if you could paint us a bit of a picture of what that kind of looked and felt like a little bit more. I think like, let's get into that turning point where you were just like, I'm at my low and something has to change here when it comes to my sex life. Oh, okay. Oh, with sex. Okay. Um, like just starting from the beginning, I waited a really long time to lose my virginity. I mean, I guess not a really long time, but I was 18. A lot of my friends lost it younger. And I did that because there was so much conversation with my mom around guys only want sex. You know, you have to protect yourself kind of making that, like, that was the thing that I had to give. And so I had to protect it. And if I gave it away, then I would be taken advantage of or used or whatever, which I think she meant to be empowering, but really actually wasn't that empowering because it felt like this is what I have to offer. So I really went into, and then obviously I have like my own, you know, other things like daddy issues and all that lovely stuff and watching my parents' relationships, they were divorced and didn't have great track records for themselves. So I was watching that as well. And I went into sex really believing that like, that was a large part of what I had to offer a dude. And my first sexual relationship was with a boyfriend, but he like, quite actively told me that he didn't love me. Like he just wouldn't, he wouldn't just only not say, I love you. He would be like, I don't love you, which looking back and like, Oh, sweet little self. And I would just be like, that's okay. And it was fine. And I had some really hard experiences in college, as I'm sure we all did, where I just felt really taken advantage of and really confused about sex and how to pursue my you know, pleasure while also like protecting my heart and the balance between the two. And so that often meant I was having a lot of casual sex because again, I just felt like that's what I had to offer. And I, that was really all throughout my twenties. That was even into my thirties. As I started to dive into this work, I started to explore that a little more and was able to exert a little bit more control over myself and know that I didn't just have to sleep with the guy, but it still became this thing that I was trying to manipulate. Like, okay, if I wait a certain amount of time, then they'll want to be my boyfriend. Or if I sleep with them right away, then they'll like feel this way about me. So it was like a, it was a tool that I was using to manipulate. It wasn't really something that I felt empowered by. And I don't know that I had a rock bottom with it. I think it was just a lot of shallow bottoms and a lot of wanting to feel empowered in my relationship to sex and wanting to feel empowered when I was having sex and also 
you know, wanting myself to feel good after. And I think that's really what it became about more is how I felt after and wanting that to feel just as good as what I was experiencing in the bedroom. And I think for so long, it was like great in the bedroom. And then as soon as it was done, there was this sinking feeling of like, oh no, what did I do? And I just really got tired of that feeling. That changed the way I was showing up. I'm curious about that sinking feeling because we have all been there. And I I want to get into that a little bit more because you just mentioned you felt like you were using sex as a tool kind of in, in a conventional way that a lot of women specifically are told to use their bodies. It's a cultural message for sure. So tell me a little bit more about like that that specific feeling where you'd be feeling really great in a sexual experience, but afterwards not so great. Well, because, you know, I think in my 20s, their casual dating culture really started to get, you know, popular. And then there was this very much, you know, sex positivity movement, which is great. But I, you know, took that as if I'm being sex positive, that means I'm supposed to be able to have casual sex and not care and feel good about it. And so I was really trying to do that and be like the cool girl who could like fuck whoever she wanted. And it didn't matter. Um, and in reality, it did matter. And it hurt me so bad. I, I used to say, and this still rings so true. And this was before, you know, I really even got to this work that casual sex like hurt my soul because it just felt like in that exchange, I was looking for love, but saying, here's my body and thinking that was going to get me that love. And it didn't (laughs) a large majority of the time. Um, It mostly just got me sex and I wanted that love after. And that love was often not present. It was often, I was often met with indifference after, and that felt so hard. And that's where that sinking feeling came in of, oh gosh, I still don't matter to this person. And I don't have anything else to give because I gave everything. So what am I going to do now? And I had a lot of conflicting advice. You know, I, when I was talking to people about it, they would be like, you just need to care less and, you know, sleep with someone whenever you want to. And then, you know, I had a guy who was like, Amanda, if you're so wrapped up in like when you sleep with someone, you're basically saying that's all you have to give. And sex should just be like another thing on the plate, but like your plate is full and which was good advice, but he was saying that he also wanted to sleep with me. So he was like, there was, that was a little iffy um, in the way that he was giving that to me. But in a sense that was correct, right? Of there's so many things that you have to offer. Sex is just one of them. So why are you putting all the emphasis on this one thing that you have to offer? And and I mean, what I'm also hearing from this too is that like the energetics weren't lined up, right? Like where, where you were wanting something deeper, but you were going for the casual sex. And then when you weren't getting the outcome that doesn't really normally come from casual sex or the energetics that you were putting into it, yeah. you weren't getting... Right. I was very, very, very much out of my worth. I was using my body to get love. And I was not getting love from that. I thought that I would. I would feel perhaps loved, or I, I won't say loved. I felt wanted and desired in those moments. But what I was seeking was a deeper intimacy. And I really just believed that I had to use sex to gain that intimacy. 
and it took me a long time to really work out, you can establish that intimacy and then get into sex and it can be, and then the sex is awesome. Right. And it's not about a length of time either. I, I don't prescribe to wait a certain amount of time because for my more anxious clients, that's going to create more of that anxious attachment. Right. And it's just a check thing that you're checking off. Like, okay, I waited this amount of time da, da, da. Um, and you're not paying attention to the rest. And it's so important to pay attention to the rest because that's, what's actually telling you is this intimacy being built. Right. And if that's what you're looking for, then that's what you want to be paying attention to. And that is not to say that you can't go have casual sex if you want to, like by all means, if that is what you want, go get it. But if you don't, or if you notice that that doesn't actually make you feel good, it is worthwhile to really start to explore why you're pursuing it. And you mentioned a component about self-worth and I'm kind of curious what that looked like once you got to this spot where you were like, I'm just not feeling good. I'm hitting these shallow bottoms, as you said. What did that self-worth work look like for you or how did that unfold for you? It was just realizing what I've been talking about, that I'm using my body to get love. I think that is all I have to offer. I really had like a big awakening, not that long ago, like a year or two ago, when I was like, oh, I just really believe that my body sex is what a guy wants from me. And so I have to give that to him. And it's like a crapshoot whether he's going to give me what I want or not. And so it was really just breaking that down, becoming aware of kind of that core pattern and really digging down into like the roots of, you know, not feeling loved by my dad, not getting my dad's attention when I was younger. And I always say my dad is the first guy I ever chased. And it's very true. I was constantly chasing his attention and I wanted his love and I could not get enough of it right? Because he was emotionally unavailable. And so that meant that's who I was chasing when I got out into adulthood. And the tactic that I was using was sex oftentimes. So it really was getting down to, you know, figure out those things. Then being very honest with myself when I was, you know, getting to know someone about where I was and how I felt and really slowing down that process so that I wasn't putting myself in a position where I felt unsafe and was then looking to that person to make me feel safe. I instead started to realize if I want to feel safe, I need to make sure I feel safe. I can't go into a situation with a person I don't know and say like, make me safe, dude. (laughs) Right. By telling me that you like me enough or telling me, you know, that you want to be with me. Um, I had to find that sense of security and safety within myself first so that I was showing up in situations, honoring my boundaries. And it took me a very, very long time to really figure out what those boundaries are for me. The way that I figured that out is like quite literally just working through situations and being like, that felt terrible, that felt terrible, that that didn't feel good. And realizing like, what could I have done differently to make myself feel good, which is going very slow physically because I'm looking for a deeper connection when it comes to that. And that takes time to build. 
right? I want to feel that emotional safety with someone. I want to feel that emotional intimacy. I want to feel like I can trust that person. I want them to feel like they can trust me. That to me is a kind of sex that I'm interested in at this time of my life. And that just takes time. You can't get that overnight, which is not to say that I haven't had like incredible sex, you know, with someone who I didn't know that well, for sure. But that's just my interests have changed. I really like that you emphasize the slowness of it. I think Mm -hmm. the way that I think of it is like, once I can prove that the sex is really great, maybe it'll lead to something else, something deeper and richer. And that's that entry point that's going to like hook and connect us, right? And, and that's what we're all taught. And I think so many women are really stuck in that position. What is it about that slowness that you were just talking about that you feel like is actually the richer component, that pace and timing? I, I love that you went to the timing because when you also talk about the anxious attachment and like the timeline and making sure, you know, checking the boxes, tell me about the slowness and kind of like easing into that. Well, as you know, someone who comes from more of an anxious attachment and has done work to become more insecure, and you know, for my clients that are more anxious, the tendency will be to just jump in head first because what you're trying to establish is a sense of security. I won't be left, you won't leave me. Right. And so that establishment is usually through sex. Like, okay, I'm gonna sleep with you. So then we you, as you said, like I'm gonna hook you in, and then you know, I'll have that sense of. I won't be abandoned. And that is always met with quick, quick, quick. So you're going on a date and you're on that date for like eight hours. Right. And it's like, it starts at the park and then you go to get a beer and then you go to dinner and then like, well, suddenly you're back at their house and you know, you've been spending this whole day together and you're like, Oh my gosh, we are so in love. It's like, I've never met someone like this before. I've known them my whole life. And that just gets into all of this false intimacy territory. And you don't know that person. So when you're slowing it down, it's really approaching that person like you would a friend when you're getting to know that friend, right? Usually with our friends, we don't jump straight into like, okay, let's spend the night every single night. Like we're best friends forever. We do tend to like get, you know, let's go for coffee. Okay. Let's like go to a yoga class together. Okay. Like let's talk on the phone, you know, like there's like this kind of this pace um, and you're just getting to know that person. And I think that's what I want my clients to always focus on is get to know that person. So, you know, I have like a dating protocol that I give clients. And part of that, there is like a time limit on dates because I don't want them to be jumping in of like an eight hour first date. Um, And a lot of that too is even if they're not sober, don't drink for the first five dates because, or do drugs, because that puts you in a mindset where you are going to bypass a lot of red flags. If you see them, that puts you not in your authentic self. You're in a different version of you. And it's so much easier in an altered state to find a connection with someone, right? When you're drunk, you're like, So if you're taking that out of the picture, you're trying to keep a clear head and just get to know that person. You know, how are they around, you know, 
wait staff? How are they in different situations? How do they show up when you guys are on a hike and like you fall down? Do they help you? What if you're on a really hard hike and you're having a, you're struggling? Do they help? Like those kind of things, just getting to know them in different situations um, and letting that be the process versus like, okay, let's meet, let's get physical and let's use that as a determining factor. I really encourage people, and this is, you know, what I try to do for myself as well is let me get to know this person on the more like emotional level, which is not to say that you're having heart to hearts every night. It's just, what are they like? What are their interests? Do those align with mine? Are those red, are there red flags? Are there deal breakers, which can be different? Um, you know, do we want the same things out of life? Do I like them? You can be infatuated with someone and even love someone and not like them. Do you like genuinely just like being around them? Do they make you laugh? Do you like being quiet together? You know, do you feel awkward if there's silence? All of these things just take time to get to know. And my um, friend Sawa, who's also a TBM coach, put it to me really well when she was getting to know her now boyfriend and they're like very serious and live together and they're in such a great relationship and I love him to death. She said, neither of us were leading with sex. And I think that is so key. They were leading with getting to know each other. And that's what is going to lead to, in my opinion, a healthier bond, right? Because the sex is important for sure. Um, But that will come and go out of various stages of your life. And if that's what you're bonding over, when that goes, then so will the relationship. So you want another foundation underneath you and it takes time to build that. So that's what slowing it down and getting to know someone can do. I love that so much. And like, thank you for even sharing those dating tips because I think we're not ever taught how to date. And we're also not taught how to like seriously date. I think in a way, We all know how to casually date, which is the leading with sex, going in, seeing if it works. It feels like a crapshoot. You're kind of like, ah, what's going on? Is this going to work? You don't have direction around it. This brings in the intentionality, which I love so much. Like it is so intentional. Right. Yeah. And also to say, if you are someone who is seeking short-term relationships, this isn't so much applying to you. Correct. Like if you're wanting more to have fun and be casual, go for it. This is not to say don't do that or that's bad or energetically wrong. Not at all. It just depends on what you're actually looking for and where you are in your worth. If you're really in your worth about that, go good job. Um, and be honest, are you really in your worth about that? Or are you just doing that because you don't feel like you can get anything else? Right. Or you don't know if you can have boundaries. So it's good to clarify, but no way am I putting that down, but yeah, the really, slowing things down and getting to know someone is difficult in the beginning because it goes against everything we've all been taught, right? It means we have to stand in our boundaries. It means we have to communicate those boundaries, which is so hard for people. I have so many clients who get really caught up in more of a codependent attitude around setting boundaries because, oh gosh, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. What do they think this or this or this about me? And there is a difference between being cruel. So that would be saying like, hey, fuck you person, you suck. And setting a boundary. Hey, that doesn't feel good for me. If you're being cruel, yeah, check that. We don't want to be cruel. Setting a boundary is not cruel. 
a person is allowed to have a feeling about a boundary you're setting for sure. And it's also their job to process that. So, but, you know, starting to learn how to do that is takes time. It can feel very uncomfortable and that's okay. Right. But it does take practicing through that. It takes repeating those tests sometimes until you really get the lesson to feel more ease in that process. But that process is you really being in your worth, right? That you're not just saying, oh, I have to do this, even if it's subconsciously, because that's all I have to offer. In terms of, you know, when we're going out, when we're dating, when we're trying to meet with people on a more intentional and intimate level, and we suddenly realize that we are with somebody who's not on that same energetics. In the instance of being on that date, like, what do we do around that? Honestly, like, let's say, I don't know if this is what you mean, but I'm just going to use this example because this is where people get really like, <gasps> um, but if let's say you meet up with someone and you just right away know that this isn't someone that you want to keep getting to know where you're just like, oh God, I'm on this date. Say that and leave. So have full permission to go, hey, you know what? I really enjoyed meeting you, but I don't feel a connection here. So I'm going to go. I wish you the best. Take care and get out of there. It's uncomfortable for one minute and then you're fine. And then you are saving yourself time. You're saving that person time. So there's no need to stay on a date that you know is not working for you. I am also a big component of if it's a eh, it's a no. So we are looking for a hell yes. Let's clarify what that hell yes means. You are not going to know a person is your full list or who you're going to be in a relationship with upon first meeting. If that is happening, you're probably in a trauma bond. Trauma bonds can work through a lot of, you know, work on each other, but let's just say that we're not looking for that. And you want to say hell yes to, I want to get to know this person. Hell yes. I want to have a conversation with this person. Hell yes. I'd like to see that person again. So that's the kind of hell yes we're looking for. It's not like, oh my God, I've met the person. It's just hell yeah. I want to get to know them. And when you feel that way, absolutely go out with that person. If you feel like, eh, don't go out with that person. Why? Right. Are you just going out to go out? Why? Are you just dating to date? Why? What kind of validation are you seeking in that? Or are you coming from fear of like, well, maybe I have to give this person a chance because I heard that, you know, Sally's cousin gave that guy a chance and now they're married. Sally's cousin could be settling. We don't know. We don't know Sally's cousin, but you don't need to settle. So if someone's eh, let them go and wait for the person that you're like, hell yeah, I want to get to know them. They seem really cool. They seem like we'd have a great conversation. That kind of just sparked a, a thought in my head because I think a lot of times people have a pretty set idea of what they're looking for in a person, which I which I honestly think is great. But I was just thinking kind of of, you know, when you're thinking uh, really specifics like tall. Mm, yes, I'm glad you brought this up. Tall, dark, handsome, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Tell me about that because I know you've spoken about this before in terms of manifestation, but I'm just going to give you that. I'm curious what your thoughts yeah, are. Yeah. So, and I, I'm going to speak about it in terms of manifestation because it just, manifestation is life. <laughs> so that's just like the way that I look at life. That's the way that we're going to, we're going to have this conversation. So when we have those things on our list, we can absolutely have those things on our list. And just for those listening who aren't in the TBM world, our list is, you know, Lacey, 
has set the standard for manifestation. You write down what you're looking for. So when you're looking for a partner, you write a list of what that person you're wanting is. So for this, you can absolutely have, you know, you can get really specific and put like tall, you know, and it can even be like six, four, this color hair, this color eyes, you know, this accent. Um, and that is great. And you can play around with calling that in. However, you want to be very clear about where your ego is coming into play and what the core values are of that and what your core wants are, are of that. So for example, I had a boyfriend when I was 25, he had red hair and he was British and he was the first emotionally available man that I had ever been with. And it was revolutionary and also freaked me the fuck out. And so of course, like any good anxious attachment, I really ruined that relationship and broke up with him. And that was that. So I thought for a long time after to find someone emotionally available, I had to have red hair and they had to be British. So that was my list. And so I called in a lot of red haired, red haired British, British guys who were not emotionally available because that wasn't what I actually wanted from the red hair and British. I wanted the emotional availability right. That I had experienced with that past partner. So then I re looked at my list once I figured that out and put emotional, right. So you can do the same for you. If it's six, four is on your list, there's nothing wrong with calling in six, someone six, four, like go get it, but look at the reason why, why do you want someone who's six, four? What does that make you feel? Does it make you feel small? Does it make you feel sexy? Does it make you feel, you know, that he can protect you or, you know, they can protect you. What is the feeling that you're going after there? What do you think that's going to provide you? Those are the things that really matter, right? So if it's like you want to feel small next to someone, you want to feel protected, put those things on because that can show up in a 5'11 package. That doesn't necessarily need to be someone who is 6'4". You know, I've dated someone who is my height and could like pick me up, throw me around, made me feel so tiny. And like, I felt super protected. And so I felt, you know, that like feminine energy that I was looking for and it didn't show up in a six, four package. So that is what really matters when you boil it down, but it's important to boil it down. And if you need to play with that list of calling that in and getting it and being like, why isn't this working? Do that because that's going to teach you, right? Don't be afraid of this process. Don't be scared to take learnings and to learn. That's why we're here. You're not going to be perfect. Forget about it. Worry less about that. We're looking for progress. And the way that we get progress is through doing it and taking action, right? So don't be scared of figuring that out. I really like that you have the the, the concept of the list and, and creating something that you really truly desire, but then distilling down what that actually, what the value is behind that, because that's so important, right? Like, I love that concept so much. Kind of going back a little bit to your personal story. So when you were calling in your own list, what space were you in and what did that list have to do in correlation with kind of like the possibility of what sex and relationships could look like for you? Explain that a little bit more to me. Mm. I think when I first kind of started this work, my list was really focused on sex sorry, this is going to get super graphic. It was like this size penis, you know, like this, this is what he wants to do in bed. This is what he's open to. Um, this is how he is sexually. And it was really sex focused, um, which again, is fine. Like I, I do love sex. I want to have a healthy sex life. Um, but it was less focused on 
the emotion availability of it all <laughs> and more focused on the sexual availability at all of it all. So which which might have been like that might have been what you were comfortable with, like that felt easier. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, as I said, you know, to bring it back to that previous relationship, I did have I did call on someone who was emotionally available and that was something I could not handle at the time. Like I was like, whoa, dude, like you're like showing up and doing things that you say you're going to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You like want to plan a future. Pump the brakes. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, I had to leave that relationship because I like could not handle it. And then, you know, for a very long time after I was calling in the person who was not going to give me those things and was instead, you know, really interested in having like wild sex. And so that is what I pursued for a long time until I realized, oh, that isn't giving me this other thing that I want. And, you know, having the sex is really fun in the moment, but I'm feeling deeply hurt after the fact, because I feel like I'm being super vulnerable and I'm giving so much and I'm not getting anything back in return. I'm not being met with like trust and love and respect and support. You know, I'm not being in a foundation with someone. I'm just like having sex. Um, and so that started to shift where I started to focus more on what I was looking for emotionally and having like a true partner and what that meant for me versus just like how I wanted our sex life to be. I it's interesting that you brought up that when you were met with the emotional availability that it freaked you out. It ended up ruining the you know, you it ended up spoiling the relationship. What like I'm curious about that because in a way you were shown a glimpse of everything that you wanted. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. He was that that guy was such an expander for me. Um and continues to be, honestly. Like he was a really wonderful person. I just, I was very young. I was 25 um, when I met that, or I was 24 when we met. And then I was 25 when we ended our relationship. But I, so I was young. Um, so there's that too. And I was moving to New York. It was like a bunch of things, but ultimately it was, I could not handle someone just like being available and, or being very sure of themselves because, and what they wanted, because I was so unsure of myself and what I wanted. Um, and so I wanted to chase after someone who was going to be inconsistent with me. Like that was sexier. The guy who was available, I was like, you're fucking boring, <laughs> you know? Um, and, but yes, now I can see, you know, that was my standard after that was like, okay, this is like the standard of kind of guy that I want to be in a relationship with. And I'm not going to go below that. Um, I definitely did, but that was the standard that I was looking to, to call in again. And it took a lot of work to really unpack why that was so uncomfortable, comfortable for me during that moment. Also, you know, we weren't meant to be together longer than that period of time, but just that archetype of someone being emotionally available and like respectful and present was the thing that I was really wanting to continue to focus on calling in. For those who don't really know or are kind of on the surface of the TBM community, can you explain to me a little bit more about what an expander is? Like, you know, you touched on it a bit. So an expander is someone who shows you that something is possible. So for me with that, you know, ex-boyfriend that was showing me it's possible for a guy to be emotionally available, to be loving and sweet and romantic. Um, 
and that I'm attracted to them and, you know, all like it can be like a full package kind of deal. Um, an expander can also be someone who is like you gets an apartment that you're looking to get and you're like, holy crap, that is out there, you know, or it can be seeing someone doing a career you didn't think is possible. So an expander is not just for a relationship, but they're important to have in all areas when you're really looking to call something in. And it has been, you know, hard for you to call that in because there's something inside of you that's still like, yeah, that's not really possible for you though. And so you want to get that seeing to believe, um, which is the little mirror neurons in our brain that really go, oh, okay, it's been done. So it can be done. You know, that like, and the story that goes is no one thought you could break the four minute mile and someone did. And then once someone did, a lot of other people started doing it. So once you see, ah, that exists, it helps your brain go, oh, okay. Like this is, this can happen. Oh my God. That's so cool. I mean, it's like, it's a dose of possibility. Yeah, totally. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really helpful to see, you know, especially when someone who has been in maybe really unhealthy relationships or, you know, where the person that they're dating is disrespectful and mean or treats on them all the time or just doesn't treat them very well. And that's what they saw in, you know, when they were growing up as well, it's really helpful to have expander couples that are healthy and that talk to each other nicely and ha can have an argument that doesn't lead to yelling, you know, that doesn't lead to someone threatening to leave where it's really respectful and they just communicate through it and they get closer, right? Like whatever you need expanding on, it's really important to see that. So you believe that you can go then call it in for yourself. And of course, with expanders, it's important to feel that you actually feel expanded by them and not like, well, they can have that because X, Y, Z, that might still be a fragment expander, but it is important to have those full, um, expanders where you really go, dang, if that person can do it, so can I. How do you go about finding expanders? If you feel like you don't have anybody in your life, like let's go to the idea of relationships again. You know, if you're trying to cultivate a strong relationship, but the group of people you're around is like all casually dating, like they're just not emotionally there yet. How do you begin to find an expander? Yeah. So you would create a list for it. So you would write down, I'm looking for an expander for this. This is what would be expansive for me. This is what I need to see. Just like you would any other manifestation and you cast that out, which just means that you wrote it down. That's casting it out. That's all that needs to be done. Um, and then you follow what Lacey calls pings. So that is like those little intuition hits, those little nudges um, that are like, go to the store at 10 PM and get Epsom salts. That might not necessarily lead you to a manifestation every single time, but the more and more you trust those and follow those, those are like the little breadcrumbs that the universe is laying down to lead you to your manifestations. So it's not that every single one needs to lead somewhere, but it's the process of trusting them and following them that will allow that to happen. So it's really important to follow your, the messages you're getting. This is so cool. I love it so much. And, and I think too, what I really enjoy about the concept of expanders is that if you are not even like ready 
quite get ready to date or, or go into that kind of scenario that you were explaining where you're you're approaching it from a much more intentional space. It's kind of that step one where you can be like, okay, before I manifest this partner, like maybe let me manifest more expanders in my life. Yeah, it's definitely a huge part of the process. You need to see to believe because there might be part of you that's like, that is not possible. There's no way I can meet someone who has X, Y, Z thing. Right. And a lot of our tests that we are will go through will also be expanders. Right. And that they can absolutely be someone who is like, this is a test. And this is also expanding me that these things exist in one person and that that is out there. Right. And we love those because that really helps you be like, okay, I'm so close. Like, keep going. Right. So, um, yeah, it is. It's really, it's a really fun part of the process because once you start calling them in and you find them, it is so helpful and it can be people that, you know, it can be people that you don't know. So whether that's on Instagram through TV, film, you know, stories and books, whatever, it can come in many different forms. I love that. Like it doesn't have to be somebody that you're getting coffee with or that you have to be friends with. Like, uh, that's a great point because there are so many expanders. And on the last episode we were talking, uh, we we had briefly mentioned Gabby Bernstein, who I would definitely attribute to an expander in both of our stories. For sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, she was the person who opened the door. I, she's the gateway drug for spirituality and manifestation. And as far as I'm concerned, um, <laughs> because that's how I got in. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, she was expansive for me in so many ways because she was someone who was sober and that was before that was even on my radar, but it was like in the back of my mind. Um, And she was also someone who had struggled deeply with relationships and then was able to work through to find a relationship that felt healthy and, you know, was really gratifying for her. So she was such an expander. And she still is. I mean, she's awesome. I, I have been to many events with her and I think she's amazing. I am curious of kind of about what you are personally calling in most recently when it comes to sex and relationships. Yeah, I'm I am calling in a long-term partner, um, someone who I could have a family with. So that means I am not dating that much because I have put in the 10,000 hours. This girl knows what she wants. So I am not going out with anyone just to go out with someone. Right. Which when we get to this part of the process, people are like, oh, I'm not dating constantly. Like, ooh, um, which is good because you're saying no more than you're saying yes, which means you're usually standing in your worth about what you're really looking for. And if you get really clear on it, like I, half the time, I'm like, I don't even need to meet someone to know. Like, I just have a couple of questions to ask and they don't meet those. I'm like, nope. OK, because I'm so clear on what I want. Um, and I am in no rush and I have absolutely zero concern about it coming through. Like, I know it's happening on its own time. I'm in a solid place. I don't need that to fulfill me. So like, I'm good. Um, but so in terms of relationships, that's what I'm calling in. So in terms of sex, that's also what I'm calling in, um, is sex within that relationship of someone who I really care about, who really cares about me. And there's like a deep sense of trust there. I'm not looking for, you know, anything casual, even if that means I'm waiting a long time in between, I am fine because I can give myself an orgasm. I'm not looking for an orgasm. I'm looking for like a meaningful, spiritual, sexual relationship with someone 
who I will continue to be in a relationship with. So that is a little bit harder to find and I'm fine with that. So I'm very happy like taking care of myself until that comes around. Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, I'm curious a bit about what that process looks like. Are you kind of just like sit back, relax, enjoy the show sort of thing? Or are you, is there any sort of active, you know, involvement in that? And what does that look like if so? Sure. I think it is important to co-create, you know, I think it's important to be someone who is not just sitting on the couch waiting for it to happen to you. Um, But I think it's really important to, within what I'm about to say, be in a place of detachment from like, I don't need this. So the stakes are really fucking low. So that means I can also say no and walk away from anything that isn't what I'm looking for. And that means I'm still, you know, I use online dating. I think it's a great portal. It's a portal though. So I don't, you know, put all my eggs in that basket. I keep my other portals open. Those are, you know, hobbies, work, um, meeting through friends and family, out and about, which is sort of coming back around now that we're slowly getting a little bit more open um, with this pandemic. But, you know, that has been mostly closed for the last year. So those all the keeping all those portals are open, but having online dating is a portal. So it's helpful to have that too. So yes, I interact with that, but again, it's like super low stakes. So it's just like, oh, that person, you know, said they wanted to match with me. Cool. Let's see if I'm interested. If not, nope. And there's like no qualms. I think you bring up a really good point kind of like about the different outlets or portals as you were just saying for dating. And if anything, especially starting last March when we all went into isolation, I think it's like everybody put their eggs in the the online dating portal. It was a reaction to being like, oh my gosh, I can't date anymore. We can't go out in public. Share a little bit about that. Well, I think online dating is awesome. So I think it's a completely neutral portal. And I have clients who, when I say that, they're like, no, no, no. Um, But the universe isn't like, wow, I would send that person a partner, but like they're online dating and like gross. Like I definitely won't do it that way. Right. Universe is not up there judging how it's going to send someone through to you. It just needs there to be enough space for someone to come through to you. So online dating is just another space, right? It's the same. It's the exact same as meeting someone at a coffee shop. It's just with, you know, a little bit more acutely that each of you find each other attractive, right? But it's the exact same, like energetically, exactly the same. So I think online dating is awesome. And I always, my clients that are calling in a relationship, I want them online dating when they're really getting in like the practicing phase because it is also a wonderful place to practice saying no, holding your boundaries, you know, spotting red flags, walking away, all the things. Um, And also that panic is means your worth is external, right? You're trying to feel worthy by getting into a relationship. That's never going to work. A relationship will never make you feel worthy. It will for maybe three months, six months, and then you'll feel, you'll get right back to your feeling because wherever you go, there you are. And you need to do that work on you to really pull that in root in your foundation and find that worth inside of you, because that leads to the most fulfilling relationship with yourself. And if you have the most fulfilling relationship with yourself, 
then you can have outside fulfilling relationships and not just romantically, right? You need to have fulfilling friendships. You need to, you know, if you have family that is safe and healthy to be in relationship with, to have, you know, healthy and successful relationships with those people, you know, in work colleagues. So it's not just this one relationship is going to solve all your concerns and worries. It fucking won't. And if you try to make it, you're going to be lonely inside of that relationship. And there is truly no lonelier place to be than feeling lonely inside of a relationship. Right. Because you put like, this thing is going to do it. It's going to fulfill me. And then you get the thing and you're like, I still feel fucking empty. Why? And it's because you haven't dealt with yourself. And so that is my focus when, you know, I talk about being a relationship relationship coach, it's making people really look in and build that foundation within themselves find that fulfilling relationship within themselves, because that is going to dictate the rest of their relationships. And you have to fill your own cup. I always have this silly saying, like your life is a Sunday, right? A relationship is a cherry on top. So if you're expecting that relationship to be the Sunday, you're in for a rude awakening. You have to put the ice cream in and the toppings and, you know, the caramel sauce and the chocolate sauce and like the nuts and all the things that you like. And then they're just going to add one thing. So you have to fill that cup up and everyone else gets to add to it. But if you're asking someone to fill you, you will just feel like the depth of that emptiness, right? Because you're looking to the wrong person, the wrong, the person is you like who we're all looking for is ourselves. Our soulmate is us. Ah. So, and even when we're in a relationship, it's just a mirror showing you how you're in relationship with yourself. Right. So it's like, it's all just pointing you back to you. And really when you can start to fill your own cup, when you're finding your fulfillment and you're relying on yourself for that, and then you get into a relationship, then you're not projecting on them. Then you don't need them to do anything for you so that you can feel okay. And then you can actually be in a relationship with that other person and see them and enjoy them and have fun because you don't need it to fill you. That's a very different space when you need that person to fill you, right? That's it's intense. It's up and down. It's, oh, it's this, it's that. And when we're attracted to drama and we're addicted to drama, that will be enticing. And the like more fulfilled version will feel quite boring, right? So be like, oh God, nothing. Why not? Yes. Like, like the, like the boring British guy, he was like, not, not fulfilling that drama. Yeah, exactly. And like, he was not boring. It was, I just was addicted to drama and all this sorts of stuff. So then that, that is what will lead to like, wow, I, you know, I love my relationship, but you have to have that fulfilling relationship with yourself first. Oh, that was so beautifully said. And thank you for just clarifying that for everybody based off of that. Tell me how you fill your cup. I know it's quite a loaded question, but what are the components needed for that? No, I love it. I love it. I've gotten really good at this. I treat myself so well, like no one can treat me better than I treat me as no one should be able to, right? Because that's my job. So the way I fill myself up, um, having work that, you know, fills me up. I love what I get to do. I wake up just like every day, like, holy shit, how is this possible? Um, so feeling really fulfilled by that. So, cause then I get to talk about what's in my heart and what I'm passionate about. Um, so 
you know, reading about that, learning more about that, educating myself more on that, you know, and that's like being in school and then just doing reading on my own, um, being with friends that lift me up and that, uh, you know, we have a similar outlook on life and we can find that bond. And I get gain a lot of intimacy through those relationships, um, where I can be like fully seen and really accepted and let myself be seen and see someone else. Um, I get, I fill up my cup with pets. I love animals and I love, you know, interacting with pets so much. They, my dog, I don't have my own personal dog, but my family dog who I'm very close with, um, I get so much out of, like, he just is pure love and light and, oh God, we like don't deserve dogs. Um, (laughs) I fill myself up by hiking in nature and being outdoors a lot. Um, traveling, obviously now it's been like a trip upstate or like taking a road trip to Maine or something. Um, seeing my family, um, spending time alone. I love to be alone. I love doing things on my own. Taking trips on my own is really fulfilling for me. Um, cooking, working out, taking care of my you know mind and body, doing DIs, doing this work, you know, eating healthy or I don't even want to say eating healthy. I just want to say eating in a way that makes me feel good. Cause like there is, that's so many things. So eating in my own personal way that makes me feel good. Um, and God feeling connected to the universe and really pursuing that, that, um, connection. Oh my gosh. I love it. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot, <laughs> It's a lot, but it's so dynamic and it's, It's like when you can tap into filling your cup, it's just an adventure of like, make me feel whole. What's going to make me feel good? And like, I I personally really like to look at it and view it. I call it my pleasure practice. Like I like to view it as what is it today? What is one thing today that I can bring to the table that's going to be for myself? That's going to make me feel good. That's going to create space for me. Recently, I love, you know, thematically throughout our conversation, we've kind of been talking about the slowness of things For me, it's been a lot of like, how can I create space between the things that I have lined up? You know, how can I restore myself between all of the obligations of the day? Absolutely. I think for me right now, that looks like either going outside and roller skating. I'm learning how to roller skate, which is so much fun. I'm really bad at it, which I think is also super important to do things that you're not great at because one, it engages your brain in a new sort of way. And two, it makes you deal with your ego, right? That you're not focused on the perfection of the thing. You're focused on the progress of the thing. And the more we can focus on progress, the more peace we will feel inside of ourselves because perfect does not exist. So it's doing that or, um, laying down on my couch to read, laying on my couch to read in the middle of the day. There is nothing more luxurious than that, man. Every time I do it, I'm just like, Oh my God, I am re I am relaxed. I feel so good. I don't know what it is like about laying on a couch in the middle of the day with a book, but it feels good. I feel very nourished by that activity. Okay. Tell me what you currently have on your bedside table. I have like five books. Um, I try to read one fiction book a week and then I try to get through one nonfiction book a month. I don't always do it with the nonfiction that those take me a little bit longer, but my fiction books, I like, I can just like kind of go through. I'm a really ferocious reader. So that is really helpful to me. And then I have like a chapstick and my, um, blue light blockers that are red 
so that when I'm reading before bed, I'm, you know, keeping myself like the melatonin is still able to come in. Um, always water and uh, old fashioned alarm clocks. I don't have my phone in my room because no technology should be in your room. And I think I have a highlighter for when I'm reading um, my nonfiction book. What is your ritual look like when you're winding down for the evening? Yeah, I've actually, I really love this ritual. So when I wind down for the evening, I clean up my kitchen. So I usually like cook dinner and then I leave the kitchen to be done when I'm getting this like nighttime ritual. It helps me wind down. So I will usually have done a facial routine before that. Cause usually I'm like doing a mask or I'm doing a gua sha routine. So that gets done a little bit earlier, but sometimes it'll, I won't be doing either of those things. So it'll get, I'll clean the entire kitchen, you know, wash all the dishes, put everything away, um, set up the living room space. Cause I have my desk out here. So I feel like it's peaceful in the morning. When I walk out, I put my notebook, um, that I journal in every morning and meditate with. So like on my couch, so it's like already. So I set the space up, clean it. Um, and then I like take all my supplements, get a big glass of water. And if I need to do my face routine, do my face routine at that point. And then I go into bed and I read for about an hour, an hour and a half, depending, um, on how tired I am. And then, hit the hay. So I usually start that around like nine, nine thirty. And, and what is like ritual? What does it mean for you? What does it do for you? Honestly, I love rituals like that whole cleaning the kitchen and putting everything away and making sure that everything feels like nice and peaceful for me when I wake up in the morning has been so powerful because it's such an act of self-care. I really feel like that's a way that I love myself very well, because think about it. If you were living with a partner and like you went to bed early or something and they clean the entire apartment or like they clean the entire kitchen and like tidied everything. And then you woke up and you were like, Oh my God, that's so nice. And like, thank you for that level of care. And so that's how I honestly feel every morning when I wake up and I'm like, look at that kitchen. It's so clean. Like, thank you. Um, so rituals are things that I really do to care for myself, to make myself feel cared for, to make myself feel seen and loved, um, to make myself feel peaceful. Um, and having a clean decluttered space really helps me with that. When my house is a mess, I feel like my brain is a mess. So I do my best to keep on track of that. Cause usually if I'm letting that go, that means I'm avoiding something somewhere right? I'm like not wanting to look at something. And the more I'm able to really keep my space clean, that usually means that I'm doing the inner work and I'm like really focusing on, you know, things that are coming up and dealing with them versus being like, well, I'll deal with that later. Um, so rituals are usually around that for me. They're just a way to really show myself care. Rituals are also for me too, are a really good way to just like control my nervous system. Yeah. Like it just keeps me really regulated. And it's so funny. Like, so last week I was away on vacation and I just, I actually think it's a really good thing. Sometimes I I didn't do most of my rituals just because I wasn't in my space. I was relaxing. I was doing something different. Yeah, I will take breaks from them as well when I'm on, when I'm on vacation. It's so interesting to experience that and then come back to a space where you 
like really feel like you need to re-implement them it's 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 a it's a funny balance I don't know if I've quite kind of like nailed the importance of it well I think that's I think it's an important part to bring up so it's having a ritual but not attaching your peace of mind your feelings all the things to those rituals so much right it's a it's allowing flexibility so that you you're reminding yourself constantly that your foundation your sense of security your sense of peace is always 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 inside of you and you need like you have everything you need in here so no matter what's going on around you you have access to that right so if you yeah you're in your house and like you can do your rituals like by all means do them but if you are making it about the ritual that's becoming obsessive and that's becoming this thing that isn't helpful to you. Right. So it's also maintaining a healthy relationship within that. So I have a lot of flexibility, like some Sunday Sundays are like very sacred for me. Like I, you know, I obviously create my own hours, but I still do like Monday to Friday. I cannot, I'm like, I, when people work on Sundays, I'm like, God bless you. Like that, you need that day. You should have that day off. Um, I think everyone should have the day off. I think it should still be Sabbath. Like we should all have a day that is dedicated to rest for everyone. Um, but so there are some Sundays where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not going to meditate today. I'm not going to journal today. I'm going to lay in my bed and read for, you know, two hours and then get up and like go outside and do whatever I want. And like, that's my ritual. And that feels fucking good. So it's, you know, it's being flexible and not again, putting this, this like importance on something outside of you, it's really, you know, using those as tools, but they're tools and realizing it's inside, right? Always, 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 always. Amanda, this was an amazing conversation. Yeah, thank you. I just want to thank you so much for your time again. And thanks for doing a part two, because I, I just felt like this was so necessary. We just set up such a good segue into this conversation. And I just, I can't wait for people to take so much out of this because there's the self-worth, there's the dating, there's the manifesting, like it, it all works together. And I think what I loved so much about connecting with you is that sometimes I have a lot of these conversations in silos and now you can really see how it all works together and what the process can be like and how you can bring yourself in and your spirituality in and the universe in because it's a team effort. Like it's, it's not just going to happen in the singular. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. You need a community. None of us are islands. We can't do it ourselves. So tell us again where we can connect with you and potentially how we can work with you. Yeah. Well, and first, thank you so much for having me back on. I loved our conversation last time. I loved our conversation this time. So thanks. Let's do this weekly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you can connect with me um, on Instagram. I'm XO Amanda Blair. My website, which has a lot of articles um, about attachment theory and this, what I was talking about is amandablair.org. And my uh, to coach with me, to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can go to tobemagnetic.com, T-O-B-E magnetic.com. And it, on the drop-down menu, work with a coach and then go to my coaching page. You know, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram and ask. Amazing. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online.
Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening.